This is Mike Pearson. Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, this is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Mike Pearson. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for tuning in to AOA here on this Wednesday. It is July 20th. Hard to believe we're gearing up for this Friday's release of the Cattle on Feed Report. We're going to be checking in with Chris Swift of Swift Trading Company here in just a minute about the state of the cattle and hog markets. And then in segment two, we're going to talk with John Linder. He's the chair of the board over at NCGA, the National Corn Growers Association. But he also works with corn growers from Brazil and Argentina as part of a group called Maisal. He'll provide us with some information on what Maisal is and why they matter here in 2022. And then in segment three, we're going to go back to a topic that we've covered a couple times so far on the show, and that's competition. And the way competition is viewed in Washington, D.C., there's been a lot of discussion about mergers and acquisitions in tech and agriculture. And Terza Duran, a policy analyst at the American Consumer Institute, has been sort of doing the math on these pieces of legislation. She'll join us in segment three to provide an update. And we're going to end the show talking with Katie Muckenhern. She is the Vice President of Public Affairs over at the American Coalition for Ethanol, ACE, and she's going to fill us in on their conference that's coming up here that second week in August. So stick around. We'll have all that coming later in the show. But first and foremost, folks, let's turn to the cattle markets. Chris Swift joins us today. And Chris, I understand that wholesale box values are going up, so it sounds like the consumer's still willing to buy beef out there at the grocery store. Well, right now, Mike, it is seeming that uh, they are pushing it up just a little bit, but it's really not a lot. And we have a lot of inventory to have to push through. The elevated cow slaughter uh, with the cows coming out of the drought-impacted areas, we still know we've got plenty of cattle on feed that we're having to work through. So there's, there's really no shortage of meat out there, and I think a lot of it has to do with just the processing of and trying to keep a balance of meat versus cattle slaughter. Chris, you've been talking about that cow slaughter for several months as that drought in the Southern Plains has intensified. Are we still seeing culling at the same level we were seeing earlier this year, do you think? I have to believe so. Last week's slaughter contained 22% cow slaughter in it. So we know that that's a big elevation and we're looking for several more weeks of the drought impact to take place in the area there. So we don't see any relief coming. So we have to believe that there's still plenty of cows left to come through that area. That makes sense. Chris, as you look ahead to Friday's cattle on feed report, what are you going to be watching for, especially closely here after this month of July? You know, the placements more than anything, because the, the rumor out there is there's fewer animals. We've seen lower volume being marketed out there in the stalker and feeder cattle markets. So everybody's kind of anxious to see how many animals are going to go on feed. And we've seen a little bit lower placement number each month, but now we seemingly this one's going to be about 95, 96%. So now you're kind of starting to drop off some. So we're, we're anxious to see what that placement number is and see if there is uh, some uh, proof to what we kind of hear of there being fewer animals out there. Chris, if we're expecting that much of a drop in placements, 4 to 5%, are you expecting a comparable drop in marketings as well for this past month? No, they've got them guessed at about 100 to 101%. So with uh, the marketings on there, and, and we know because we've had an increase in the slaughter rate, and we just got through with significant holidays of Father's Day and the 4th of July, and so we're kind of wrapping up from those particular holidays and replenishing our grocery shelves with it. So it's not uncommon, just a little push after the holidays, and then we kind of settle in to the doldrums of summer. So if we see those placements come in at 94, 95%, and we see marketings come in at 100 or 101%, Chris, that seems like a pretty good firecracker story to get some managed money back into the cattle market. Do you think they would go that route? I'm not real sure, Mike. We, we have seen a huge decline in open interest. We've lost 35 to 40,000 contracts in open interest over the last couple of months. And just the last few days, last week we saw a significant rally in the feeder cattle market 
all on lower volume and very declining open interest. So that seemed to be more short covering than it did new longs coming into the market. So now we've got to entice them with the premiums already on futures to say we need to put more premium on them. And I'm just not real sure that the cash market is going to exceed what the futures market for premium is showing right now. Okay. All right. Taking our focus over to the feeder cattle market, Chris, I'm just pulling up the charts here. We've got August at 178 down to November 22 at 186 in feeders. We've got the corn belt in a blowtorch. Does that make you a little nervous for those deferred months of feeders making them profitable? It really does. Um, we noticed that the futures have carried this uh, negative basis for months on end. And we've been able to use that very beneficially because until the index of the cash market begins to rise up to those levels, they're still carrying premium to them. So we've noticed that the index has risen about 17 to $20 over the last couple of weeks. The futures have been caught in a very wide price range of about $15 and still trading in that same price range today. So what does that mean going forward? How does this play out? How does this unwind? Well, a lot of it has to do with corn. Uh, we understand that there are a lot of corn acres that are going to be either cut for silage that were not intended to be cut for silage. We believe there's going to be a little bit of a yield reduction over the 177 is what USDA comes out. And, and we can't prove that yet, so unfortunately we may have to get closer into harvest and start getting some actual harvest numbers to see that. But we believe that if last year's crop was already short and we came off of July this year a nickel under $7, we're 2 million acres shy this year, and it's very possible that we reduce the yield and the harvested acres, what's it going to be like this time last next year? So we're not as concerned really about our day-in, day-out fluctuation today as we are attempting to prepare for what we believe is coming down the road. And what are you doing to prepare, Chris? What are the, the strategies you're working on? We use a lot of call options, just plain long call options without any kind of hindrance. And that way our, our producers can figure what corn is going to be, regardless of what the price is. We know we've got it fixed at X price, and then that's how they go out and they price their livestock to be able to manage with what they have managed on their feed costs. So it, it gets a little bit testy when you're looking at premiums to, to be that expensive to go far out. Uh, but we've already seen a, a multiple dollar move in corn this year. And under the current conditions that we think there's going to be even less next year. So we have to believe that those ranges could even expand further than what they did this year. Okay, that makes sense, Chris. We've got just a little bit of time before we have to let you go. And I've got to turn the focus to the lean hog market that front month, August up $14 just in the month of July. What's happening in hogs? You know, I'm not real sure. I know the cutout has been a little bit higher, and we've seen the lean hog index keep perking up just a little bit. And I think it's just fewer hogs being slaughtered. Uh, we have been uh, almost nine quarters in a row of reduced uh, uh, hogs and pigs reports where we have reduced the herd size to it. I think that's becoming um, per, uh, pertinent right now and obvious that we just don't have near as many hogs out there as we have had. And and I think there's some still profitability in feeding hogs, so we could see some expansion to take place maybe the next quarter or you get into the fall of the year in the third quarter, maybe you start to see some expansion there. That could be the case indeed, folks. We've been talking to Chris Swift of the Swift Trading Company. He's the author of the Shootin' the Bull newsletter. Chris, thanks so much for joining us today. Always a pleasure, Mike. Folks, stick around. When AOA returns, we're going to check in with John Linder of NCJ about his work with the Maisal Board. Stick around for more AOA. Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. Don't go away. More AOA coming right up. Join us every Tuesday for Around the Table, brought to you by CHS, where we take a close look at the benefits of cooperative ownership. Each week, we'll host a new guest and discuss how you can get the most from working with your local cooperative. And we'll learn why farmers and ranchers just like you choose cooperatives to help them persevere and prosper. Tune in each Tuesday or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. 
The American Coalition for Ethanol is hosting its 35th annual conference in Omaha, Nebraska, Wednesday, August 10th through Friday, August 12th. This must-attend event for industry leadership features timely updates on ethanol public policy, market development, board of director training, and more. This event combines the detail of high-level training courses with all the fun of a family reunion. For event details, visit ethanol.org. That's ethanol.org. Tune in to AOA the first Wednesday of every month to hear from the National Corn Growers Association in our new segment, The Monthly Grind. NCGA is made up of nearly 40,000 members. And, you know, of that, there's more corn farmers that pay dues into checkoffs. And NCGA manages it with the staff in St. Louis and in D.C. here. We get together, we have the action teams that the officers, John Lender, Chris Edgington, Tom Hegg put together, and we bring everybody's ideas together. And whether you're a small state, a big state, whether you're interested in livestock, new usage, ethanol, everything comes together here. We talk. It's kind of that clearinghouse where all the ideas come together. And, it, you know, it's been done since, um, you know, NCJ was founded in 1957. So it's very important that... Uh, we have that one voice. This monthly grind recap is sponsored by the National Corn Growers Association. Be sure to tune in the first Wednesday of every month for the monthly grind here on AOA. 180 over 111 and I had a stroke. When I woke up, I couldn't speak or walk. 145 over 92 and then I had a heart attack. 182 over 100 and I had a heart attack and a cardiac arrest and then a stroke. Everything changed. It felt like my life was over. This is what high blood pressure sounds like. You might not feel its symptoms, but the results from a heart attack or stroke are far from invisible or silent. 150 over 90, and I had a stroke. If I would have followed a treatment plan, I would not be in this situation. 180 over 110, and I had a stroke. And I'm 33, so I never see this coming. If you've come off your treatment plan, get back on it. Or talk with your doctor to create an exercise, diet, and medication plan that works for you. Go to loweryourhbp.org. I had to tell everything's changed. I had to tell. Brought to you by the American Heart Association, American Medical Association, and the Ad Council. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. This is Mike Pearson, and you can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Keeping farmers and ranchers informed. AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Joining me now is John Linder. He's the chairman of the board for the National Corn Growers Association. He's a corn grower out of Edison, Ohio. John, thanks for joining us today. Oh, appreciate the opportunity to be with you. You know, over the past week or so, we've been talking to a lot of corn growers, having just wrapped up their meetings in Washington, D.C., action meetings, corn congress. There was a lot of focus on what's happening domestically with corn. But of course, John, this is a global market. It is a global product. And you serve on the board of Maisal. Can you tell us a little bit about what Maisal is? Maisal is an alliance between Brazil, Argentina, and the, and the United States. And it's really to enhance the opportunity for commodity trade throughout the world, um, representing the bulk of corn production in the world. The three nations uh, are very much aligned in the use of technology. And we're looking to find that alignment in acceptance of the use of technology in production as we think about feeding the world as it grows and gets larger every day and we we just need to be able to answer to the consumer demand and produce as producers we take that very seriously and as three nations uh, we take it take it a, a step further to work collaboratively toward that end and and that's the key it's it's the technology is out there it's being put to use by farmers we're generating all of this data and then it's a matter of getting that data into the right hands john mazal brazil argentina and the United States. Are there any disputes between those three on technology issues? Oh, absolutely not. You know, what we do find is we have different uh, traits needed because we're different climates, uh, di different regions of the world. You know, in the United States, we kind of talk about the regional differences, but really, as, as being a leader in national corn, I'm kind of finding that it's clear down to zones, right? And we talk about farmers' zone sampling fields, you know. So you break it 
further and further down, you find different needs. And to do the regional differences, uh, country by country, you find you have different uh, pests, if you will, that come after uh, corn and its uh, vegetative states. And obviously, they don't get too much winter in the south. So we're fortunate that uh, winter will help us mitigate some of that risk. They don't have that that uh, luxury and so they they look for technology to safely answer the the opportunity to um, produce crops without losing them to a particular disaster as we've seen in history yeah yeah those disasters can sneak up and they can be they can take many different shapes that's for sure john Growing, using technology to produce a crop is one side of the equation. The other side is is finding buyers, finding consumers, making sure that market is there. On the technology front, on the GMO front, are there any areas in the world that you wish they would get some more information to, to help them make some decisions about technology? You know, I, I don't know if it's as much a wish on my part that they had access to the information as it is, maybe they wish they knew what they didn't know. And I think that's the opportunity for us because people are hungry to know what's what they're providing for nourishment in, in their protein products as they raise them for the folks who live there. And, you know, I think we need to respect that. We talk about it being consumer choice, but for some countries it's plainly an opportunity for protein. You know, they don't have a lot. They don't have access. And so the opportunity to find the pathway to make that flow happen so we can actually meet the needs of many nations. Sometimes it does take a, a bit of a technology conversation around the production of agriculture. I understand Mexico has been taking a look at GMOs. John, in your conversations with the other folks at Mazal, how do you grapple with that? A country willing to take a step back uh, from a technology standpoint in their food production? You know, it seems odd to be having conversations like this, but in reality, uh, food, food safety and, and uh, access to food has become a political conversation. And nothing surprises us when we politicize anything. And I, and I don't want that to sound like it's a bad thing because intents are good, but understanding is lacking of actions. You know, it's kind of like my brother always reminds me on the farm. He says, be careful what's, what you wish for, you know, and, and to wish away a plentiful supply of food is on a, a less than uh, informed decision politically becomes a burden for everyone in the world. And that's part of what we're trying to do in Maisel, be in those conversations, help people navigate those decisions and help them to make them so that they're not disruptive. Other than Mexico, are, they any, are there any other countries that are, are questioning GMOs that, that you really want to, to take this conversation to them? You know, I think most folks realize that uh, Europe has a very interesting stance on GMOs and always has uh, fancied the, the opportunity to uh, provide the best for their uh, constituents, if you will. And it was kind of interesting with Brexit to find where uh, folks in the UK landed. And if you could imagine the complexity of re, how do I say, redefining your own government again and bringing their model with them that they were using during the, the exit and then trying to put their own feel to it, they found they were falling short on approvals as well for, for just no other reason than capacity. The, and, and that awareness, we raised, as Maisel, we raised that awareness and they started giving their own country approvals so they had the access for products that they didn't mean to restrict. They just kind of hadn't noticed what they were missing. I'll be darned. So to have a body out there that can say, hey, 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 look, pay attention. You might have missed the missed it here. Correct. Got them right back on board and got, oh, it, got the approvals done. Yeah. They were so pleased to have that conversation with us. It's, oh, we hadn't been noticing what we were missing and uh but you know it's it's a difficult time for them to reinvigorate a government 
Right, right. There's going to be a lot of conversations, I think, coming out with Europe with regard to a lot of different issues here. So over many the policy months. decisions, right? Yes. So We're many. not short of them here either, so we can relate, right? We can. I mean, yes. that's the thing. We've got plenty going on, John. We've been talking globally about corn. I want to, before we let you go, let's bring it back local. Okay. Edison, Ohio. How's the crop looking? You know, it's been an interesting year, and I, I would hate to say that I would probably struggle to say it's going to be better than average because we've had excess rainfall and uh, we did finally dry out for about a week and boy did we find out we didn't have roots in our plants they didn't know what to do without moisture as the moisture kind of moved away from them well it was probably a blessing because those roots then developed start chasing that moisture and they they looked they turned around in that week but then we turned around and got hammered again from north to north south we had like 4.7 to 1.6 inches one evening. It continued through the night and on through the next day. So it, it's been challenging. We planted our weed a little late. We're, yeah, I'm probably the least, you know, for, for being away last week, you know, I'm probably the least favored on the farm as I come back here because they were trying to harvest wheat, apply fertilizer on corn, you know, we got a little fungicide issues because all that rainfall, we need to, to focus on crop protection in, in that regard, but a few beans to spray. Yeah, so I'm trying to earn my keep back at home. Well, I tell you, John, we'll let you get back, get back to work, contribute to the farming operation. But thank you for joining us, folks. We've been talking to John Linder, chairman of the board at National Corn Growers. Thanks for joining us, John. Thank you for having us. And folks, there is a lot more in common with Brazil, Argentina, and the United States, of course, in this time of trouble. Everybody's looking to raise a little more money, and that's certainly the case down in Brazil. Our friend Corey Melby, the ag consultancy behind Brazil International, sent a note out this morning that there was a proposal put forward down in, the, in Brazil's capital that would allow for the... the laying of an export tax on corn, soybeans, and rice in the form of grains when domestic stocks are below 10%. Uh, basically, the, uh, the Brazilian parliamentarian who brought this to the floor said, quote, the proposal aims to correct a contradiction that affronts the public interest in the country, the abusiveness of the volumes of food exported in the context of price volatility and insufficiency in domestic supply. Corey does note that this proposal probably won't go anywhere over the summer. Brazil is gearing up for a major presidential election. Lula da Silva is the left leaning candidate running for president. Jair Bolsonaro is the current president. He's looking for re-election. And Corey believes if Lula da Silva should win this fall, it is very likely that the Brazilians would try to stick an export tax on corn and soybeans, at least to some degree. So do anticipate additional disruptions to global supply chains coming from tariffs and taxation and shipping, because all of those things are going to continue to impact agriculture. And indeed, we're also going to see political actions impact agriculture. Terza Durant, the policy analyst at the American Consumer Institute, will join us when we return to talk about some of the antitrust legislation pending in Washington, D.C. Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. Don't go away. More AOA coming right up. It's been said that when someone you love has Parkinson's, you have Parkinson's. The Parkinson's Foundation knows that the disease doesn't just affect the diagnosed. It affects everyone who supports and helps care for them. If you or someone you know is living with Parkinson's, a neurological disease that affects movement, we understand that it can be difficult to know where to find help. If you have questions, the Parkinson's Foundation has answers. Answers for everyone in the fight. We can help you understand the disease. Help you find expert care and local support. Give you tips for living a better life. And share the latest research. Find your answers and join us in the fight against Parkinson's. To learn more, please go to parkinson.org. Or call 1-800-473-4636. That's 1-800-473-4636. The Parkinson's Foundation. Better, Better lives together. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen reporting. 
Well, as we take a look here at the market trade, working through our Wednesday morning, we see corn and soybeans working to the downside again with beans down double digits around 18 to 25 cents. Corn down 5 to 8 with the wheat market. Holding on to some green numbers here this morning. Shortly after 8 a.m. this morning, USDA said China did step back into the export market, bought 5 million bushels of U.S. soybeans for new crop 2223. But that's not giving any momentum to this soy complex as we're trading lower pretty much across the board in beans, meal, and in bean oil. We see improved chances for rain mostly in the central and eastern Corn Belt the next two weeks with uh, even some cooler temperatures in parts of the western belt uh, giving us a reason to move a little bit to the downside, giving the bears a little bit of a reason to take some more risk off here today, it appears. Crude oil still above $100 a barrel, although it's down $1.72 right now, $102.50. The Dow Jones quiet down 127 points. Livestock trade mostly higher with front month hogs leading the way with moderate strength throughout live cattle, feeder cattle, and the other hog contracts so far here this morning. Taking a look at current numbers in the trade, September corn down five and a quarter, 591 and a half. December down eight, 587 and a quarter. August beans 23 lower, 1454 and a quarter. November down 18 to three quarters, 1339 and a half. Bean meal, bean oil down moderately. September Chicago wheat up eight and a quarter, 820 and a half. September Kansas City wheat up two and three quarters, 872. Spring wheat September up three and three quarters, 933 and a half. Live cattle for August up 32, 136.05. August feeder cattle up 40, 179.15. Lean hogs, August up 165, 114.47. And October up 65 at 95.15. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen reporting. Vision loss is not something that you feel until it happens. Most people lose their vision from diseases like macular degeneration and glaucoma, not at birth. With macular degeneration, you lose your central vision. You have a blind spot right in the center of your face, so I can't actually see your face. So even that little circle in which I could see became a big blur. I was 65 when I first was diagnosed with glaucoma. There were no symptoms. I had no headaches. Three million Americans have glaucoma, and half don't even know it. 11 million people in the United States have macular degeneration. You lose mobility, independence, changes your entire life. So many eye disorders can be treated if caught early. My husband tells me that I have beautiful brown eyes, and I don't want to lose that. Make a plan today to get your eyes checked. Visit brightfocus.org to learn more. This is Mike Pearson. Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Information farmers and ranchers need to know. AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back to AOA, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for tuning in to today's show. You know, one theme that has been brought up a lot on this program over the past eight months has been the shifting nature of antitrust focus in Washington, D.C. We have seen a lot of industry competition and concentration issues get play in Washington, D.C. And this is true both in the ag space as well as the tech space. A number of bills have been introduced in order to alleviate this concentration. And Teresa Duran, who is a policy analyst at the American Consumer Institute, has been digging into these different pieces of legislation. Terza, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Let's talk first, before we get into the legislation, tell us about ACI. What does the American Consumer Institute do? Uh, the American Consumer Institute is a think tank here in Washington, D.C., and we are a research-focused and educational organization that focuses on a wide range of in, um, issues that affect the consumer. And obviously, antitrust is one of those things that certainly impacts the consumer. Terza, in Washington, D.C., the way they're focusing on anti-competitive behavior for both tech and agriculture seems about the same. What are they trying to do to alleviate, uh, competi uh, improve competition, allegedly? Yeah, so antitrust has taken a kind of shift away from the areas that it's focused on historically. And you can see this 
both in a wide range of tech legislation as well as a new bill that focuses on agriculture. And what we really see is we see a movement away from the focus on the consumer impact, and we see a movement towards the focus on the size of these particular firms. So whether or not that's targeting large agriculture firms and banning mergers only for large ones, or whether or not that's in the tech space where they target the big tech companies and strap them down with additional regulations. You see a movement away from the consumer impact and towards the codification of big is bad, which is just not always the case and outside the realm of traditional antitrust enforcement. Yeah, it is an interesting way to shift focus from, well, these this company is charging more harming consumers, and that's why we need to go after them, which is the old way versus, well, this is a big company, so therefore they're harming consumers. So on this front, Terza, we've got a couple different bills, PAMA on the tech side and Farmar on the ag side. Let's start with PAMA first. What is this bill? So PAMA is it stands for Prohibiting Anti-Competitive Merger Act, and it actually expands to a wide range of industries outside of tech as well. And what this bill does is it uses an index that measures concentration in an industry, and it states that any mergers that would increase the concentration over 1,800 on this impact is automatically bad and automatically banned. And just for context, this threshold is pretty low in terms of concentration. According to the Department of Justice, industries can be at 2,500 on the same index before they're considered highly concentrated. And additionally, just for further contextualization of how low this threshold is, if you look at some data from the Brookings Institute from 2012, of the industries that they focused on, one out of six of them, only one out of six of those industries was below the 1,800 threshold. So this bill would really establish a really low threshold for banning mergers and deeming any amount of concentration as anti-competitive. And I think it's crucial to note the fact that this determination isn't made by consumer harm. It's made by a computer model that has these figures plugged into it. Terza, does PAMA have a chance of making it to the president's desk? So PAMA hasn't gotten a ton of play individually. However, it is part of a larger movement to really change the antitrust landscape. So whether it's PAMA, whether or not it's a range of other bills, or whether or not it happens legislatively or through agency decisions or executive orders, we're really seeing a movement in antitrust enforcement, weaponizing it against these large companies. So whether or not it's specific bills, um, it's difficult to say. But the unfortunate thing is it's really part of a wider movement that is getting a lot of steam that would transform antitrust away from the consumer. And one of the places we're seeing it pick up steam or at least apply to a wider area is in the ag side. Cory Booker has introduced the Food and Agribusiness Merger Moratorium and Antitrust Review Act, the FAMAR Act. Terza, does this bill take a lot of that same sort of antitrust uh, focus from the PAMA bill and bring it into ag? Yes. What this bill does is it's another bill that focuses on antitrust and really codifies the idea that big is bad. What this bill would do is it would place a moratorium on vertical mergers for agriculture firms with over $160 million in annual net sales or total assets. So the overlap between PAMA and FAMAR and a bunch of other bills that are going through right now is that it's really targeting and designing specific rules based on a firm's size. And antitrust has never been based on size, it's been based on behavior. So you really see a shifting in the antitrust landscape. And it's interesting that no vertical mergers, obviously they're doing that to try theoretically and improve competition, but Terza, from the consumer standpoint, which of course is the standpoint you take at ACI, can vertical integration improve the consumer's experience in some cases? Yes, vertical integration has been used to increase efficiencies and it moving away from this really ignores the consumer benefits that consumers can gain when a company reaches a certain size and can really take advantage of economies of scale. One of the things that consumers really 
values, specifically in the food and agriculture realm, is transparency of their supply chain. And according to the Food Industry Association, who completed some polling on this subject, about 64% of consumers would actually switch brands in order to go for a company that offered or a brand that offered more transparency. One of the ways to offer increased transparency is through these vertical mergers, is through integrated supply chains, because it just, it makes sense because the fewer hands that a product really has to switch through, the easier it is to trace. And you can see that a lot in the farm to table movement that's become really popular. Consumers really like a transparent supply chain. Absolutely. And of course, a lot of farms are vertically integrated to one extent or another, whether they're running cows and raising grain to feed those cows, spraying their own crops or owning their own trucks. We can see this throughout the industry. And Terza, I'm curious, Senator Booker, of course, has taken aim at agriculture consolidated ag several times. He's introduced FAMR or similar types of legislation since he was elected to the Senate. But it seems like it's being taken a little bit more seriously this year in D.C. Is that your take on it as well? Yes, that's exactly correct. Whether or not it's SAMR or another bill, specifically big tech has gotten a lot of focus as far as antitrust. Um, Senator Klobuchar has introduced a couple bills that would ban self-preferencing and ban mergers over a certain size threshold. So there's definitely a lot more energy and effort being put towards antitrust. But again, whether or not it's in tech, whether or not it's in big ag, it's all part of this broader movement to really switch away from the focus on the consumer welfare and move towards the codification of big is automatically bad, which has not been historically the realm within which antitrust is used. So we're seeing folks in Congress really grab onto this big is bad idea with regard to antitrust. But Terza, of course, the executive branch has a lot of authority in this realm as it stands today. Do you think the Biden administration is also uh, taking this big is bad approach? Will we see more executive action on mergers through the rest of this term? The Biden administration is definitely taking the big is bad approach. And you can see this with some of their activity. Last July, President Biden issued an executive order called Promoting Competition in the American Economy. And part of what this did was it called to look at big temp companies, specifically in terms of platform access and mergers and acquisitions. And then when you compare that to some of the legislation that Senator Klobuchar has introduced, you can really see them mirroring each other. So again, whether it's at the executive level, whether or not it's different agencies, or whether or not it's legislatively, this is a movement that is really unfortunately gaining a lot of speed and it could end up harming consumers, harming some of the consumer benefits that consumers really take for granted because big is not bad and big and size and scale really allow firms and companies to better serve their consumers oftentimes. It's not always, but oftentimes. Absolutely. It comes down to action. Any firm could be bad. Any firm could be good, regardless of the size. It's how are they treating their customers. In terms of, of course, you're going to continue to dig into these issues there at the American Consumer Institute. Can you tell us, our listeners who are maybe just hearing about this issue for the first time, where could they go to learn more about the writings and the research you've done on this topic? Yes, you can follow the work of the American Consumer Institute. You can follow us at theamericanconsumer.org. You can subscribe to our email there or our email newsletter there and stay up to date with everything that we're putting out, as well as find us on Twitter. And on Twitter, we're at ConsumerPal. At Consumer Pal, folks, check that out. Yes. Keep this in the back of your mind. Ladies and gentlemen, PAMA, FAMAR, the changing nature of competition regulation. It is a topic we are probably not done talking about for the immediate future. Terza Duran, policy analyst at ACI. Thank you so much for joining us here on AOA today. Thank you for having me. And folks, stick around. When we return, we're going to talk with Katie Muckenhern about the ACE conference that's coming up the second week in August. So stick around for more AOA after this. Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA agriculture of america don't go away more aoa coming right up
Nothing offers an opportunity to bond and give thanks quite like breaking bread together. This is especially true as we welcome our troops back home and keep those who are still stationed overseas in our hearts. Hi, I'm Gary Sinise. Since 2011, the Gary Sinise Foundation's Serving Heroes program has shown gratitude to our nation's defenders and their families by serving up nearly 500,000 hearty classic American meals at travel hubs and military locations. And now, together with our friends at Bob Evans Farms and their Our Farm Salutes program, we will help to provide even more meals nationwide, offering our defenders a taste of home and a feeling of togetherness around the table. Help us show America's gratitude through food and fellowship. Look for the Bob Evans Our Farm Salutes purple packaging at your grocery store and visit ourfarmsalutes.com to learn more. While we can never do enough to support the men and women who serve together, we can make a difference, bite by bite. Take a look under your bed. Find stuff under there? What about jobs? No? Now try your basement. There's a pair of overalls that overall you're not so into anymore. A perfectly good laptop that hasn't sat in your lap in months. And even more stuff, but still no jobs? Well, you really have both. See, stuff is defined as household articles considered as a group. Sometimes this stuff is no longer needed. Wait, no longer needed? That can't be right. Because remember those jobs you were looking for? Those are really needed, and they're the stuff inside your stuff. Even inside that winter coat that moved with you to Phoenix. Our job is to unlock those jobs, and it starts when you donate your stuff to your local Goodwill. Here's how we do it. When you donate to Goodwill, we sell your stuff to provide job training for people right here in your community. So just by teaming up with Goodwill, you help create jobs. And isn't that worth parting with the leftover guitar from your 80s cover band? Goodwill. Donate stuff, create jobs. Find your nearest donation center at Goodwill.org. A message from Goodwill and the Ad Council. The landscape of media has changed, and people are more skeptical than ever about where they get their news and information. While major news outlets show decreasing credibility, your local farm radio station still shows strong marks. In a recent survey, farmers rated information from their farm broadcasters as almost twice as reliable as major news outlets. Farm radio continues to be transparent, honest, and trustworthy. This message brought to you by the National Association of Farm Broadcasting. The average American eats 250 eggs per year, which translates to a total annual consumption of 76.5 billion eggs in the U.S. About 60% of eggs produced here in the U.S. are used by consumers, and about 9% are used by the food service industry. A chef's hat is said to have a pleat for each of the many ways you can cook eggs. The color can range from white to deep brown. Hens with white feathers and earlobes lay white-shelled eggs, while hens with red feathers and earlobes lay brown-shelled eggs. Because breeds that lay brown eggs are typically slightly larger, larger birds, they require more food, making brown eggs usually more expensive than white. You can tell whether an egg is fresh or stale by dropping it in water. A fresh egg will sink, but a stale one will float. Eggs also contain all the essential protein, minerals, and vitamins, and egg yolks are one of the few foods that naturally contain vitamin D. And eggs are also good for your eyes because they contain lutein, which helps prevent age-related cataracts and muscle degeneration. These farm facts brought to you by the American Ag Network. Tune in to AOA the first Wednesday of every month to hear from the National Corn Growers Association in our new segment, The Monthly Grind. Well, NCGA is made up of nearly 40,000 members. And, you know, of that, there's more corn farmers that pay dues into checkoffs. And NCGA manages it with the staff in St. Louis and in D.C. here. We get together, we have the action teams that the officers, John Linder, Chris Edgington, Tom Haig put together. And we bring everybody's ideas together. And whether you're a small state, a big state, whether you're interested in livestock, new usage, ethanol, everything comes together here. We talk. It's kind of that clearinghouse where all the ideas come together. And, it, you know, it's been done since, um, you know, NCJ was founded in 1957. So it's very important that uh, we have that one voice. This monthly grind recap is sponsored by the National Corn Growers Association. Be sure to tune in the first Wednesday of every month for the monthly grind here on AOA. The possibility of lung cancer can be pretty scary, especially if you're one of approximately 8 million current or former smokers at high risk. That's why SaveByTheScan.org wants you to know that now there's a breakthrough low-dose CT scan that can detect lung cancer early, and it only takes 60 seconds. You stop smoking, now start screening. For an easy quiz to see if you're eligible, visit SaveByTheScan.org. It could save your life. SaveByTheScan.org is brought to you by the American Lung Association's Lung Force Initiative and the Ad Council.
You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. This is Mike Pearson, and you can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back to AOA, ladies and gentlemen. You know, globally, we are dealing with an energy shortage right now. We are seeing it in the elevated prices for fuel. We're seeing it in the elevated prices for natural gas, for heating, for cooling, for electricity. Everything is elevated right now, and consumers are looking for alternatives. This past week, Joe Biden was in Saudi Arabia, and it was expected that he was going to cajole the Saudis to pump more oil. But importantly, Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman came out in a speech and he said Saudi capacity is capped at 13 million barrels per day. And he said the world needs to do more to produce energy. Well, some folks here in America are doing just that, producing energy, producing fuel that's renewable, that's clean, and it comes from right here in the heartland. Of course, I'm talking about ethanol, and the American Coalition for Ethanol is getting excited for their summer conference coming August 10th, 11th, and 12th. Joining me to talk about it is Vice President of Public Affairs, Katie Muckenhern with ACE. Katie, thanks for joining us today. Hey, Mike. Thanks so much for having me on. Let's talk about the ACE conference. It is getting close. It's three days of training and education about ethanol. Katie, who needs to come to this? Yeah, absolutely. Well, we've actually hit 35 years of hosting this event for biofuel producers, farmers, investors, and good and service providers, just anyone who is interested in learning about the ethanol industry or a stakeholder of that industry. And this is my first time, you know, planning the event, and I'm excited to, you know, host an event that we can bring all these folks together under one roof. Katie, ethanol is a really fun industry because so many of these plants were founded by farmers just coming together saying, hey, we need to create a market for our corn. We've got this product here, this ethanol that we can sell. But these folks aren't professional managers. They run their farms. They come in, serve on the board. I understand that teaching leadership is a big component of the ACE conference, isn't it? Absolutely. You know, we actually, we pack a lot of information into a condensed day and a half agenda, but, you know, it covers the gamut. You don't have to be an expert on ethanol to attend um, because we have that training um, for, for, for folks who, who join. So we have these general sessions that we're going to bring in some great keynote speakers and panels. And then we also have the breakout sessions, which is what you touched on. And that we have actually split it into three tracks this year. We're focusing on leadership and management, technology, and of course, carbon. That's That's been a big focus for ACE over the past couple of years. But we're covering things like um, HR training um, for you know ethanol plant labor challenges and hiring practices. We have um, board training and planning, IT security. It really runs the gamut. Absolutely. And Katie, that labor challenges issue, I'm guessing you've heard from some members who have confronted that issue so far this year. Absolutely. That was, we, we heard from our members and we wanted to deliver, um, you know, a, a breakout session that was focused just on that. And we actually, we have some um, industry experts on that panel, but we also have um, someone who does that at the actual ethanol plant who is going to join us and just talk about their experience and how they've been able, able to overcome some of those challenges over the past couple of years. That's incredible. And on the technology front, Katie, what issues are going to be under discussion? Yeah, so we're actually, we're doing one um, on, so ACE developed a new tool, and you've covered it on your program here for listeners, but a carbon intensity tool. So we're going to be demoing that for for folks who come. And um, we also have um, a presentation about getting all of the distiller's corn oil from your plant. Um, another presentation kind of dives into just the value to um, agriculture and other like low carbon solutions at plants. And then we're also covering um, carbon capture and storage, and um, we're going to have some experts from Mide Bailey come and talk about just um, the R&D tax credits and, and carbon capture credits and what's out there for folks. 
That is good stuff because, man, that is complicated paperwork to get through. It helps to have a little guidance and to have have a little push sometimes when you're getting these things done. Katie, I want to come back to the general sessions because I am very excited about the future for biofuels in this environment right now. And I understand on Friday you are going to be talking to the inventor of one of the things that has me excited about biofuels. That's clear flame engines. What are you bringing for new uses and markets to the conference? Yeah, so that that's going to be a really fun panel. That's another topic we heard from our members that they, they wanted to hear about. Um, we're going to cover, like you said, new uses and markets, um, specifically focusing on ethanol to sustainable aviation fuel, ethanol to hydrogen market opportunities, and then, like you mentioned with ClearFlame, the heavy-duty transportation sector. So we have representatives from ClearFlame Technologies and then Jivo and Proteum Energy. So that, that's, that's a new panel. We haven't offered that in the past and really looking forward to that discussion. Certainly. And that is a huge topic of discussion as the world needs more energy. And Katie, I understand Brian Jennings, uh, chairman, president of ACE, will also be talking. What's going to be on his mind? Yeah, you know, Brian will cover the gamut, you know, with what what ACE is focused on, really, you know, how we're helping producers and farmers looking to drive down their carbon intensity scores. We we have a lot of projects that we're working on at ACE in addition to our carbon calculator. We um, teamed up, we got some funding from USDA um, through our regional conservation partnership program, and we're paying farmers um, who implement conservation practices and utilize that data to secure low carbon fuel market access for farmers. So we have some um, big developments with that project and, and, and future work that we hope to do that we're going to be sharing at that conference. But other than that, you know, policy issues, obviously E15 is a huge focus for us right now, just making sure that we implement a, you know, a permanent solution to offer that fuel um, year round. And then, um, of course, there's going to be some um, developments here with with the, the renewable fuel standard, the RFS, some upcoming decisions that EPA has to make. Indeed, they are. Katie, before we let you go, give us the where and the when and how can folks get registered? Absolutely. So we're going to Omaha. It's August 10th through the 12th. And we're at the Marriott downtown at the Capitol District. It's a it's a great location. We were there actually in 2019. But folks can go to ethanol.org to sign up and um, book the room and, and get all the agenda details. Fantastic. And AOA will be broadcasting live all three days at the con- conference. We hope to see you there. Katie Muckenhern, thank you so much for joining the show today. Yeah, thanks so much, Mike. And folks, do be sure to tune in to AOA tomorrow. We'll check in with Brian Ernest of CoBank about what's developing in the protein space. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow, folks. This is Mike Pearson. Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. We gather together in communities across the nation to remember and honor, to celebrate and support to light the night. Join us as we lift our lanterns high in order to move toward a world free of blood cancers. Join us as we light the night for a loved one. Join us. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. Our mission is to cure leukemia, lymphoma, Hodgkin's disease, and myeloma. Our aim is to improve the quality of life of patients and their families. Join us. We are LLS, and when we walk, cancer runs. Join your community and help bring light to the darkness of cancer. Join us as we light the night. Find your local event at lightthenight.org. That's lightthenight.org.